live from Los Angeles. It's the American Soccer Show on the road. Eric Alcantara here with Emma McConnell, here to talk all things World Cup. Because it's almost officially that time. Russia and Saudi Arabia will kick off the single best sporting event in the world. What we're going to do here is go through each group and try to give you an idea of what team, what each team brings to the table and our expectations of about what's going to happen. Some teams will get a little bit more based on what we know. Some teams, it's just going to be us shrugging our shoulders and trying not to pronounce names in an offensive manner. I think we'll do a pretty good job at that. Just saying. <laughs> we've, done so, we've done well so far. Well, you know, we can only do so much worse. If you say so. Are you ready to get this going? Yeah, let's start with Group A, huh? Group A. So it's Russia, the host, Saudi Arabia... Egypt and Uruguay. So we'll start with Russia. Maybe I'm just not remembering South Africa that well. And I'm too young to remember the state of South Korea or Japan during the 2002 World Cup, but it certainly feels like Russia are the weakest hosts in quite some time, perhaps going back to the Americans of 94. I I think South Africa was a weaker team in general, but if we do look back to that that group with uh, Mexico, Uruguay, and France, it was actually France who finished last, and South Africa finished third. So, Russia finds a way to not finish last in this group. I think we can keep that uh, that banner with South Africa. But, I mean, not exactly the strongest group in this World Cup either. No, they Russia did get a fairly decent draw, all things considered. You know, Uruguay will probably outmatch them, but you would think Saudi Arabia and Egypt are both within their punching level, so to speak. Yeah, they should, they should be able... I mean, they haven't really shown us that they should, but, I mean, I think any Russian fan would assume they're getting out of this group. Right. Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, that uh, we'll, are, they, are, they, are they not an optimistic group over there in Russia? I wouldn't think so after the performances they've had. But before we before we get too far off there, one of the things we're going to do for each team, or at least we're going to try to do, is find the moment that they qualified. Some teams will have to just settle for you know somebody saying it after the game, or you know a pundit mentioning it after the game, something like that, maybe or a key goal during their final game that qualified them for the World Cup. Just depending on what I was able to find, it was an interesting. Uh, battle getting these first two groups, for example, but hopefully be pretty iconic for each country. Hearing, right, uh, the 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 emotion is what we're looking for, and the idea was to get like a call from that country's commentary, or at least in the country's language. But some in some cases it just didn't work out because I couldn't find the specific moment where they qualified. It's a lot of countries, a lot of a lot of moments of qualification right. to go through, comb through the internet. So for. the exactly. So here's the moment that Russia were awarded their FIFA spot in the World Cup World after Cup. ruling World Cup Ladies and gentlemen, will be organized in Russia. Yeah, so there you go. The famous envelope. Opening of the envelope, big time. By for Seth Blatter. May he, uh, wonder what he's doing these days. Probably living, living the high life, trying to avoid the, the officials. So, yeah, I wonder. I, I, I wish that the corruption scandal had gotten further. Like, you know, the guy that had his own uh, apartment for his cats. Oh, my God. In New York City, yeah. Like that a high-end awesome. apartment. I'd never live in an apartment that expensive. <laughs> the guy's got it for his cats. That's amazing. I should work for FIFA. They haven't, so the Russians haven't really had a qualifying campaign as a kind of being the hosts. That's sort of one of the downsides is that you don't get to play in any of the qualifiers. You basically have to schedule friendlies in each window, which can be kind of difficult based on who's playing qualifiers during that time. You're assuming any team that should be qualifying for the World Cup is playing qualifiers, so any good team. So you basically kind of resigned to playing teams that either don't have qualifying at the time or are just not good enough to be in qualification. Right. And a lot of teams, too, the, about the only benefit of that was that a lot of teams chose to go to Russia rather than have Russia come to them because they wanted to get an idea. You know, some, some bigger teams that kind of assumed that they would be in the tournament and decided to go get a feel for it early on. So a good idea for them. Here's the thing about Russia. They look dreadful during the Confederations Cup. And they had a complete meltdown at the 2016 Euro. They finished last in the group. I think it's hard to quantify exactly what to expect from them. What we do know is in their last seven games, they haven't won a single one. I'm, I, I know that you and I think, I, I think we share this opinion that friendlies aren't very good indications of a team and what you should expect from them. But at some point, we have to take something from this team, right? Because they, they haven't played enough games that mattered in the last few years for me to be able to get anything from them and then not use the friendlies too. Well, I mean, they did have two... I'd say major tournaments in the last two years between Euros and Confederations Cup, and those weren't good showings. So I do think it's 
a matter of are they going to be able to play to an actually respectable level or are they going to play the same way they've been doing in the in the past two tournaments? I would expect that the World Cup, they would step up a little bit, but you never know. Yeah, I mean, it's weird to think because they hosted the Confederations Cup and they were pretty dreadful there too. They only scored against New Zealand twice and then they had one against Mexico. So th- this is a team that's going to clearly struggle to score goals, I think. And it's even hard to get a grasp on them just because almost every single one of their players is playing in the Russian league, especially the better ones, because the Russian league has kind of found a way to keep them to there by just simply paying them more than they would get paid anywhere else. Yeah. And they have to stay at home and they don't, it's like, they're not willing to go out and challenge themselves. I think it's the couple <laughs> who are, go out and do it. And it, maybe it's a downfall, but the Russian league isn't bad. It's not terrible. It's, I believe, the sixth-rated league based on UEFA coefficient right now. So higher than the Portuguese league that I think a lot of people would probably think is higher rated. But you got teams like Zenit, CSK Moscow, uh, Spartak Moscow. It's you know a couple of teams you could expect to make runs in Europe. Maybe not the Champions League anymore. But Europa League teams are probably good. Yeah, they're constantly least. there. Yeah, so... Um, but we ha- they also are paying money to bring in you know, outside players. That might be a factor into it. We, it's it's true we haven't seen enough Russia like looking like they care. Yeah, and I mean, look, here's the thing: you might not know too much about these guys unless you've watched the Russian teams in the European competition. And it's funny because the injuries it's hard to it's hard to get a grasp on them until you kind of realize that this is a team that likes to play three at the back right now. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where they are, and they've lost two of their center backs already: Victor Vasin and Georgi Djaka. Yeah have put their defense in serious doubt, especially when you consider the preferred formation, like I said, is kind of like a 5-3-2, basically. A lot of defensive-minded players, some hard-working midfielders in that midfield three, and then, you know, just a small off up front, kind of the only mm-hmm. true goal scorer in that squad right now. So, I, I do think that what they have going for them is that probably the biggest strength in a lot of the Russian players are they just have these big, mean center backs. Right. So... I don't think it'll be impossible for them to uh, to find a way to replace those guys, but I mean, it's definitely not a good sign moving forward, you know. Yeah, and I mean, like you know, talk a little bit about Fedor Smolov. He scores, like that's that's good for him. What, what did you call him earlier when we were talking about him? Oh no, I I wasn't like specifically calling him this, but you know, we always <laughs> talk about the blank Messi, yeah, the Russian Messi. It's like why don't we have like a like a Russian Cavani? <laughs> I think that's what we kind of compared him to closest. But I mean, what he had like 15 goals or something. Yeah. In the 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 Russian league, which was the high score, so I, it looks like he has goals in him. But I'm wondering if there's going to be service in that Russian team. If they have enough quality to put any balls into him. It's going to be difficult. You know, he's probably not going to have like you said a ton of service. People would be familiar. You remember that he was actually a transfer target in January for West Ham, and then he kind of decided to stay put at Kranznodar. Kranznodar. He's also apparently a very big fan of Counter Strike. So, sounds pretty uh, Russian of him. Good character. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, and he hasn't proven it on any big stage yet. He's done it in the Premier, Russian Premier League, right? But he hasn't done it in Europe. He hasn't done it on an international stage. So until he does, I think it's fair to say that it's we can't expect too much of him. But also given that they're playing against two teams that have done nothing at the international stage in Saudi Arabia and Egypt, it, they're pretty much on evil foot, even footing in that regard. But right. then they have the home field advantage. All right. So that's about all. That's the big thing they have going for them. Let's move on. That. Let's move on to uh, yeah. Saudi Arabia, a team that we actually will know less than Russia, which is kind of amazing <laughs> when you consider it. But that's the kind of way this thing worked out. The situation we have here for Saudi Arabia is Saudis have 16 points tied with Australia going into the last day of uh, the regular match days. For qualification. In Asia. Mm-hmm. And Australia gets a win earlier in the day, meaning Saudi Arabia needs to beat the group leader Japan. was all they needed, so here's what happened. Yeah, that's good old, uh, good old Arabic, I believe. So that's a solid guess for that one. Yeah. So Saudi did qualify ahead of Australia here, who in the end did qualify, but 
Um, to be fair, I think I think just about every team in the world should be able to beat Honduras the way they were playing. They are so ugly. Yeah, except for the United States, unfortunately. Well, unfortunately for us, that is but, true. Uh, we have to get past that, I guess. <laughs> we're not <laughs> getting past. We're never going to stop dwelling on that, are but we? Here's the thing with Saudi Arabia is they have pretty much every single one of their players plays in the Saudi league. Right. So, so it, once again, they're not getting out and challenging themselves in any regard. And they're kind of staying in at their home. So it'll be a huge challenge for them to go into Russia in a hostile environment like that uh, with some un, you know, unproven players. <laughs> and here's the thing you just talked about. Uh, you talked about Romanian, or not Romanian Messi. I was, I was already. Is um, there a Romanian Messi? There I'm is sure a Romanian is. Messi. I don't remember his name, but there's a Saudi Messi. Because there's always a, you know, blank Messi. There's a blank. There's one. Never, I don't know, not as much Ronaldo though. No, Ronaldo doesn't seem to get that kind of love, does he? Yeah. But tell me about this uh, the Saudi Messi then. I believe it is Mohammed Al Shalawi that they refer to as Saudi Messi because he has twenty eight goals in thirty seven games. So very good record. This is the pretty, Saudi league. It's a pretty good scoring record. Yeah. That's the, uh, which Saudi again? It's... Well, look, we don't know what the quality of that league is. Let's not kid ourselves. Nobody was watching the. You know the Saudi League, and then they yeah. also were not watching the, uh, the the AFC Champions League, unless you listened to that one time that we talked about. You could watch like <laughs> seventeen eight straight hours of Champions uh, League. You remember that day? I, I think some some of the listeners did. But so Saudi, they they do have this guy up top who has some goals in him, just like Russia. But the thing is, for them, I'm expecting they're going to bunker bunker down, hunker down, As sit back, and counter. They got some pace up top. Uh, Shalawi being their uh, version of Messi, apparently. <laughs> Which I gotta put out there. I'm not a huge fan of the whole blank Messi, Saudi Messi, uh, Russian Messi, but... That's why I prefer to refer to Messi as uh, Argentine Pulisic. Of course. Which uh, I think is a much more fair representation. So, so for, I think for Saudi Arabia in this tournament, it's all gonna come down to this first game with Russia. Right. right. I think for both teams, this first game will be the be-all, end-all for both of them, because neither of them can afford to really lose it. There's no guaranteed points after that. Exactly. Not even close. Uh, so if you drop points here, say Saudi Arabia pulls out a draw, right? It's going to be tough for Russia to get out of. They both still have to play at that point. Uruguay. Uruguay, which is going to be, I th- you know, it wouldn't be too ridiculous to think Uruguay gets nine points in this group. Um, they, I, honestly, I would think that going in, you would think that they should. Obviously, the World Cups are different. It's, it, wouldn't yeah. be, it would not shock me at all if they only walk away with seven. Which it, is it wouldn't not a be bad, a disappointment at all. They'd I still think. finish first in right. the group, probably. And it probably wouldn't even be all that close if they could finish with seven. Yeah. Uh, seven is pretty much a guarantee to go through. So they, if they get a draw here, at least in Russia, if they can get a win against like Egypt later on, maybe say they lose, they have four points. Four points is a decent chance to go through if they have a good enough goal difference. Mm-hmm. Um just not to get like get kind of housed by one team. That's one of the key important things is when things start to slip away, you have to remember that the goal difference is very, very important. important in a tournament like this. So say they get that win against Egypt. Egypt then plays Russia. Whoever wins has four points, and you know that's the kind of the situation who has the best goal difference at that point. But getting the draw here is everything. At least getting a draw here for either. I th- but then Russia, on the other hand, needs a win. I think Russia absolutely needs to win because. Look, the fans, like you said, whether or not they, you know, they expect their team and they think that they're good enough, the reality is that there will be a lot of angry football fans in that country if by the end of the group stage they've completely embarrassed themselves and gone out in the group stage, which has only happened to one other host. We talked about South Africa. Yeah. And South Africa only barely missed out. They missed out on goal difference. Uh, so, yeah, they and they were not exactly either in a bad group either. They had France, Mexico, and Uruguay in that group. That's crazy. So what we're looking at with Russia here is – this should be a chance for them to go through, but what they've shown, I don't see it. Saudi Arabia here that we're talking about now has basically the first shot at taking down Russia and basically un- dethroning. I don't, I don't know if that's the right way for saying it. It's such a bad team, but the hosts. Yeah, well, unsettled the hosts. Maybe. Unsettled the hosts, yeah, that's it's, a better way. Yeah, the one other thing I wanted to mention was I, I did watch a little bit of Saudi Arabia against Germany. And at first I thought, why would Saudi Arabia even think about scheduling that friendly? And then I, I'm like, okay, it makes sense. They want to raise their level before the World Cup. It's the best opponent they've probably had in quite some time mm-hmm. in a match that both teams will be taking a little more seriously than your average friendly. Now, you look at the scoreline and you think, oh, well, you know, in Saudi Arabia 2-1, lost to Germany. It's not bad for them, but I'm sure it was probably all Germany all the time. 
the the reality is that second half was very impressive to me for Saudi Arabia because they had Germany kind of on the back foot and there was a little chance very late on to equalize that game and they didn't take it. I'm not saying that you know that there's no world of difference at the end of the day if they would have drawn that game or if they would have, you know, doesn't lost really 2-1. It end. doesn't matter in yeah. the end because they they're going to have that confidence that they in theory could have. Yeah. Uh but it it points to good things because when we talk about not knowing that much about the Saudi players because of the Saudi league Chances are these other teams don't know that much either. I'm sure they go in and they watch tape, but there's only so much tape you can watch. There's only so much that they can get on these guys. Um, it's a, probably a good thing that they and then also they're playing in Asia in the qualifying. There's really not that high of a level. They're not playing Germany's or Spain's or Brazil's. Right, they're playing each other where they're all the top teams are all sort of in the similar level, and then the bottom teams are just horrendous. Yeah, teams like Timor Leste and got like a minus forty four goal difference in the qualifying first <laughs> oh, round. Oh man! So they could come up and surprise people. Uh, if you could believe that, that's actually the second round. You have to. I, I believe there's actually a, pre- a preliminary oh, round before teams even get there. We don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole, but um, <laughs> Saudi Arabia probably the most unknown of the teams in this tournament. Could be a good. Could thing. be a good thing. Could, could be a, be a bad thing. thing. They're. At the end of the day, they are not one of the least talented teams, I think, overall. Yeah. And that's sort of one of the things that's agreed upon. We move on to Egypt. Egypt, the scenario that we have laid out for them is Egypt had nine points with two games left to play. Second place was Uganda. They had seven points. Uganda drew earlier in the day. Egypt was tied 1-1. محمد صلاح وابا الله 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 يا بلاد الله الله يا بلاد الله الله يا بلاد الله يا بلاد الله الله أكبر that's what I was looking for when I was getting these things. That's, that's the what inspired emotion, me. Yeah. So, uh, Egypt, first time they've qualified in a long time, but they've been one of the best teams in Africa for a while. That The qualifying in Africa can be kind of strange. The qualifying in Africa, I, I actually would argue, may be the toughest of any continent. It, we could have a debate about that another time, but, I mean, the fact that there's no, like, really seeding or any kind of, like, wait, teams just get thrown in together, and that's why you see a lot of African teams that you would normally associate with you know the World Cup and getting there, sometimes don't make it some years because they end up in a group where everybody's just bunched in together. And you see some teams that are a little un, you know uneven. Uh, a, a little background here: third place in this group was Ghana, who has been I would also say historically one of the stronger teams in Africa. I think we I, I would say fair to say a staple of the tournament because they've been yeah. in the last three now, and they've had very good showings too. Yeah, uh, they, knocking out the U.S. I mean, yeah, then they, a few times. it took that uh, Suarez handball to keep them out in the uh, 2010 World Cup. That's true. They were uh, very close to the semifinals. I mean, other than that, there's like Nigeria, Ivory Coast, who also didn't make it. Uh, Senegal's now kind of established themselves again. But Egypt being one that hasn't gotten to the stage in a while, that was really huge for them in qualifying. And having a talisman like Salah... Yeah, some of it take that penalty when it really mattered. I know they had another game to kind of cement it, but it was really important for them to get to qualify. Possibly they're going to be without him for a lot of this tournament. I don't know. The the medical reports, uh, people, they're going back and forth. You know, at first it was even like a question of whether he was going to be able to play in the tournament at all. And then I wasn't sure what to believe when Liverpool's doctors were kind of saying, eh, he might make it, he might not. And then the Egypt doctors were saying 100% he'll play in the tournament. But once the Liverpool doctors had kind of turned around and said, we expect him to play, I think, okay, I can absolutely believe that he'll be out there at some point. Whether or not he's ready for the first game, I think it's... I don't want to say irrelevant because you would certainly think that Salah would help their chances of trying to maybe get a draw against Uruguay, which would massively improve their chances right there. I think that for them, it will be important to just... If they they don't have Salah in that game, I think it would be very important just not to lose uh, by too much. I think it would be one of those games where you you probably go in thinking you might lose. Take a 1-0. Yeah, you'll take the 1-0, you'll take a 2-0, and just kind of try to get out of there with your goal difference relatively intact, and you can go in and try to maybe go a little more aggressively after a Saudi Arabia or a Russia, depending on which result you need. Now, I I do want to be a little fair to the rest of Egypt. This isn't exactly uh, a weak team that is reliant on just this one star player. It's not like if you just took a random terrible country and threw in 
uh, messy and said, <laughs> okay, now they're a top team. Egypt does have some strong players. They have um, Mohamed El Neni, uh, center mid for Arsenal, Arsenal obviously, going to be massively important in running that midfield. Um, Trezeguet. Am I saying that right? I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, yeah, you're asking uh, me. Uh, I'm going to hope so. He's going to be. He's been important in qualifying for them on the uh, opposite side of Salah on the wing. They're going to rely a lot on him with him gone with Salah gone. Uh, they have Ahmed Hagazi at center back from West Brom. Kind of made a name for himself this year. Uh, I, I would say their wing backs are pretty good. Uh, Fatih on the left side and uh, Abdel Shafi on the right. They've got, they've got talented players for sure. I think it's a, it's a little easier to spot them because they've got players, like you said, at Arsenal. Obviously, you have Salah at Liverpool who could be very well making a move to, Man- to, uh, to Real Madrid if you were to believe the tabloids. It's one of those things. and then But you you talked about some positives. Let me give you a negative. Their goalkeeping situation. Now, we've, we've gone on about this for MLS, and boy, is there an MLS keeper that I want to get into, but there's no time for right now. Esam El-Hadari is going to be Egypt's number one for this tournament. He's 45 years old. That's like like light years ahead of Buffon. So, I mean... Which is a distance, not a time frame. I, I apologize for that. Yeah, but that's old. He's going to be... That's a big question mark. Yeah. I just... I, I think that you can't discount the fact that you have a goalkeeper back there who... It wasn't their first choice. Their first choice was injured. I think that, you know, the experience will certainly help. But at, at some point, you know, players are going to be looking behind them and thinking, man, is this guy really still got it? I, I, I five. look at the other side of the coin there. He's probably not going to be pulling out these majestic saves for you. Right. But you know you're not going to get a, a, a huge howler most likely because of his years of playing and uh, experience. You would hope not. You're not going to see, uh, you know, him dropping the ball in front of the net most likely and someone <laughs> tapping it in. Uh, but you also have, on the other side of that, there's probably a little bit more confidence in the back line because they, they know this guy, he's experienced, they respect him, and they're going to listen to him. You know, it, it, There's a other side of that, but I would say it's more of a negative than anything else having a guy that old. And so just one other thing, you know, we talked about what would happen if they didn't have Salah. If they do have Salah, again, better chance, I think, against Uruguay, maybe to pull a 1-1 draw mm-hmm. and, stay, and stay in the game offensively. And then more importantly, having Salah for the other two matches. They can get that. I think a lot of people think that Egypt could make some noise and get to the round of 16. And then you just never know in a knockout match. I think they're on a decent number of people's lists of making finishing second here. Right. Uh, the problem is you don't want to put him in too early and re-injure him and then not have him later. Right. But then you also don't want to not take too long and then not qualify and finish second. So they do have that tightrope to watch, walk. The first game, I think they... I'm, I'm with you. They might not. They might, you know, give him a break. Maybe take him on as a sub. Take him out early. One of these things. But they're probably going to need him because he's such a difference maker so against Russia or Saudi Arabia. He's a guy who could win you that game single handedly. It's true. He is very talented, and he's the kind of player you need in this kind of tournament. Finally, we have Uruguay. I think the odds-on favorite in this group, and I'm not even really sure it would even be close to be honest with you in terms of chances of winning the group. Yeah. I think it would be fair to say that they are far and away the favorites. Uh, they came into that last day of Comet Ball qualifying, kind of depending on where you live in the world, may or may not have been overshadowed by the debacle that went on in CONCACAF on that last day. It, it was, uh, we had a discussion about this. The last day, they weren't guaranteed a spot. Right. Well, so Emin and I were discussing it beforehand, like, well, what were we going to do for Uruguay? And I said, well, actually, it would just be their last game because I remember that they had already, their, their point total had guaranteed them a spot in the playoff the common ball playoff against the uh the champions of the ofc and i remember thinking to myself what could possibly bring that scenario about so i went back and looked and it turns out it was a pretty wild scenario so they they were basically all but in let's hear when, you, when you hear this clip but they still had business against oblivia they came in with 28 points and the scenario for them was pretty simple to avoid the playoff chile had to beat brazil Colombia had to beat Peru. They had to lose to Bolivia, and Argentina had to defeat Ecuador. But I think the goal difference was nearly ten goals.
Yeah. I mean, you know, again, it was a formality. Yeah. You but, and here's but qualifying's the always big. Qualifying's always big and teams that are that good usually don't take it for granted, <clears throat> USA. Oof. And the fact is that there you know, there were no guarantees in the playoff even though I have to say Uruguay against New Zealand would have been just as bad as Peru your uh New Zealand ended up being. Uh probably worse. I think they would be pretty guaranteed to go through but we would be in a know. different spot here because it wouldn't be the clip we'd be playing for qualification. It's true. We'd be, we'd be talking about the playoff goal, <laughs> goal number nine or something. They would ha- they would have to be like hanging on for like cause, you know it, those playoffs though they are a lot of emotion in those. You Dangerous. don't know what's going to happen. The players, you know, there's still a lot more emotion, a lot of emotion in that. Uh, well, I would rank Peru pretty highly above New Zealand, and I believe they drew nil nil in New Zealand, which is which a, is you know it's a long flight. You just yeah. you just never know, so Things it's better to avoid it. And Uruguay did. Let's talk about what they have coming into this one. So the goals are I don't think are going to be an issue for this team. They have I would I would argue the best striker combination in this World Cup with Suarez and Cavani. Not sure how well they've they work together in general. They but they score goals, right? They score tons of goals. They and they we've seen them in international tournaments before, so I don't think that there'll be any kind of issue. They are similar players, so I, I think I know where you're going. They're with that, both right? like out and out nines. Right. Uh, they're, they're they they both... seem to line up in a four four two to allow both of them to play. But they're both kind of guys who want to be that center forward who gets all the attention. We saw Cavani kind of lose the spotlight to Ibrahimovic at PSG before. That's what I was going to say was that I yeah. think that it's important to note that Cavani's kind of been dealing with this for a while. You know, he was at PSG and then Ibrahimovic comes in and they had to play together. They're both also true number nine strikers. And now here we are again with Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani. I, I think it'll work out just fine. They clearly know how to get them the ball. And plus, you know, Uruguay, for all the goals that they are capable of scoring, they do tend to play a little more defensively under their manager who knows kind of how to you know get the best out of every single one of his players without kind of isolating his two strikers up top but if you're going to isolate strikers having two number nines isn't usually a bad thing because either of those guys can hold the ball up either of them can make a run in behind they're both you know around the same speed i would say suarez had a rough campaign for barcelona though he but he had a decent goal tally well here's the thing they they are both unselfish strikers i think when it comes to making runs they both want to run the channels uh they can both hold it up uh, draw a foul, get the team up with them, but it, it is going to come into the pl- can the players get the ball forward. They have one of the I would say a stronger defense. They do. Uh, Diego Godin's getting a bit older, but he's an absolute rock. Jose Maria Jimenez on um, both on Atletico Atletico. is one of the up and coming top center backs. Uh, Martin Caceres, uh, you know, he's been a, a defender in Italy for a while. Juventus and all over the place. So it's going to come into I think. The question is, I mean, that midfield, if they can support the defense and support the strikers, get the ball to them, you know, double down in the back. Matias Vecino uh, at center mid at Inter this year was pretty good. He's been strong at Fiorentina. But across the board, it's definitely the weakest spot is that four midfielder spot. Right. We'll see kind of who wants to step up in there and maybe take over that midfield. Uh, again, you know, I, with a relatively easy group, I think that Uruguay could make some noise in this tournament, maybe make a run into the semifinals if they can kind of keep up their play, And as we kind of saw. Because, you know, it was a wild comfortable qualifying cycle. To finish second, yeah. I don't think is any small feat. But, if you know, I do want to kind of go back. So we do have the benefit of having them in qualification we didn't have with Russia. Uh, they did finish second there. But if we look back to the um, Copa America two years back, I believe they got knocked out in the group stage. Um, they really seem to struggle then. I'm, it seems they've had it figured out now, but the fact that that's a possibility that they could, <clears throat> you know... Revert back to that, perhaps? Yeah, in a tournament setting. <clears throat> oh, my. Is <laughs> is troublesome, but... I think that's your conscience telling you to stop talking. Stop talking about that. But I, I think that also what they have is they've not been known for their depth, but I do want to mention Christian Stuani at Girona this past year. Had a really strong year in Spain. Um, so he's a guy who come on and bring service and goals if things aren't really going their way. Disappointed that Lodero didn't end up making the squad. I, You know, I mean, it is what it is. He was injured. I'm not sure if that played a factor into it. But... I'm sure it had something to do with it. Not, I mean, he's he, he's a good playmaker, but um, I'm, I'm, it, I'm sure the coach knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, but, hard to like, argue with that, right? Yeah. Uh, good player, but I'm sure they have guys that they're going to step up in that spot. Who you got? Who you got winning the group? So we'll go into the uh, group. My prediction is we're going to see, yes, that's right, Uruguay uh, coming out on top. Uh, second place, 
uh, it, for me, it depends on Salah if he's back or not. If he if he doesn't make it back, I do think Russia makes it. Otherwise, it's Egypt. I'm gonna <laughs> stick hedging with your bet there. I'm gonna stick, I'm gonna say Russia here. I know that's not exactly the most common given how they've been, but as the hosts, as a team that really shouldn't be that bad, Uruguay and Russia make it out. All right, I'm gonna agree with you on Uruguay. I do think they win the group, and I think that Egypt does get out in second. I just I see them beating Saudi Arabia, and I see them being able to take Russia. One of the things is that Russia got Saudi Arabia in that first game. That first game is going to be the toughest of any, but of any of them because you have the opening match. All the eyes are on you. The yeah. Russians are going to—they've they, been waiting for this moment now for four years, basically. That's the toughest game. So I think Russia wins that, but I think Egypt then takes them down. I think Egypt also then beats Saudi Arabia, and that's that's six points. I don't know if Russia's going to be able to get up there. No, I mean they'd have to beat Uruguay for that. It, so I mean I think we can agree that it whatever happens, in it's an uphill first, climb. It's, for it's sure. that first game. If Russia doesn't win that, I'm I do think Egypt goes through. Right then we move on to Group B. Group B, we have Spain, Portugal, Morocco, and Iran. We'll start with Spain. Here's what we had for Spain. Spain had 25 points. Italy was at 22. With two games left. Italy drew with Macedonia, while Spain dropped three goals against Albania in the first 30 minutes. It was incredible. Really, I think, though, the the big one that people will remember is the game against Italy where they won 3-0. Yeah, that, they basically just housed them. That's more of a turning point than their win against Albania. Their win against Albania, we have the we have a like a pundit saying that uh, Spain is back in the World Cup, which they are. Let's hear it. Yeah. So, like I said, sometimes we're not going to be able to find things. I really tried to find Spain, and I believe Portugal's will be similar in that there's just not there wasn't just anything that I could find that was like a Spanish call that said they're going back to the World Cup. And, I, I mean, it's Spain. We expect them to be there. Right. But this wasn't a guarantee, given that they did have Italy in that group. Who And you never know in the playoff, just as we found out with Italy. Yeah, so basically, you know, things could have gone differently. That 3-0 game, if it goes in a different direction, I think they were tied at that point, because that's where Spain's at 25, Italy's at 22. A draw or an Italy win there, and we're looking at, it, you know, Italy and Spain in two different positions. Uh, that said... This is a very strong Spain team. Exactly. You know, it's hard to believe that we're talking about it like that, but I mean, that's just the luck of the draw with Italy and Spain being in the same group. You know, from back to front, obviously David De Gea is, I would, I would say, is the best keeper in the world. With Neuer being injured, there's no doubt. I, I think that it's safe to say the back line is one of the best in the world. PK and Ramos are still two of the top center backs. They've worked fairly well together in their time. They've for, been doing it for such a long time. Yeah. Carvajal and Alba, assuming they can both play are two of the best fullbacks in the entire world. Even if Carvajal can't go, I imagine Cesar Azpilicueta would be ready to go, and he is one of the better fullbacks in the world himself. He's just one of the best. He's, I think, the best 1v1 defender in the world. He's a guy who can always put in a shift. And it's crazy to think that a guy... that's just the back line that I just... It's crazy to think that a guy like that is, like, a backup. Right. Should be playing exactly. You, any, I think it's safe to say Cesar would score would would start on every single other national team in this tournament. Maybe one exception, and that would be Germany. And I'm not even sure I would say that because Kimmich, I just move into the midfield. I think that they would they would work around him if they had him there. But yeah, pretty much everywhere else he'd be playing midfield. Busquets, I still have him as the best defensive mid in the world. What he does is just it. it it's sometimes it's so hard to quantify, but he's so good at it. Right. Uh, I know guys like Casemiro and Fernandinho have made, you know, shouts for being up there with him, but Busquets still so important in that midfield. Other guys, uh, David Silva. I mean, you've seen what he can do. Absolutely incredible. Iniesta will be there. Isco at Real Madrid had a phenomenal year. And Thiago, I still think, is, you know, he had a great year at, uh, at, at Bayern, but he's still technically so strong. And honestly, they could flip any other five guys in that midfield. And we're looking at another top midfield in the world. Right. And that's not even mentioning a guy like Koke, who was exceptional for Atletico Madrid at times this season. You yeah. you know, he could get the job done if he had to play. You know, David Silva, his run at uh, Manchester City this season. Saul, one of the better young center midfielders in the world right now. These are all guys who could come in, and I would say things wouldn't change that much. And then up top. Now, so here's the thing. You know, Spain's style has not lent itself perfectly to Diego Costa so far. Now, of course, Diego Costa is one of those players that you just kind of play because it doesn't matter. You know, if your that, style, he's that good. He just he can create goals out of nothing, and you need that in a World Cup setting. With that said, even if you know it's not working with Diego Costa or say Diego Costa gets hurt, I mean, they they still got 
Iago Aspas, who's very good in his own right. They have they brought Rodrigo with them. Lucas Vasquez too. <laughs> I mean, I think if you look back and you said, um, you know, the second whatever Spain team of team make a whole Spanish team of people who didn't make this squad. And I think you'd expect it to make that to at least the quarterfinals as well. It would be, it'd be interesting. Some of the positions might be a little too weak. If you can't use anybody on the 23? Yeah. You, it would still be a... Would still be that that one might be a little tougher, but... The striker position is always a question mark. Well, Morata would probably be the first one I would think right there, right? I mean, terrible year, but not a bad player generally thought of. Yeah, and then, you know, Marcus Alonso left back and... Yeah, I mean, we could keep going. Uh, Javi Martinez, I think, got left out, didn't yeah. he? So... It's remarkable the depth that Spain has, and so they have an embarrassment of riches, I think, from top to bottom. Moving on to Morocco, the situation with them—it's their last match of qualifying. They have nine points, and they're playing against the Ivory Coast, who has eight points. Morocco scores two on the road to qualify. Here's the call of the second goal. That was exciting. More emotion. That's what we need. Hey, we did need more emotion. On, I mean, Spain, that, that was a, that was a good that was a good call. Uh, glad I was able to find it. For them, it's it feels maybe like a cliche that we're talking about each small country having like a big time player that they're going to rely on greatly. But for Morocco, I think that player is probably Hakim Zayek. You know, he's he's really talented distributor of the ball. From what I can tell, he's he's got that goal scoring threat that they're going to need. It'll be just, I guess, it'll be interesting to see sort of how he's able to do on this big stage. I, I've pegged Morocco as dark horses for a long time, up and coming in this tournament. Their defense is remarkable at times, and so coming into the, you need them to be good. It, but now they're going to have to be great because they have Spain, who scores goals with relative ease at times. They're going to have all the ball all the time. You have Portugal, who you know, for all their European champion, yeah, Portugal. European champion, who you know, will will probably rag on in just a little bit. But the reality is, they can score some goals. Yeah, and they have Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the best players in the world, and best one of the best to ever step on the pitch. You can't you can't fall asleep for one second on a team like that. It's going to be damage control uh, for this Morocco team. I do think it's kind of interesting the geographic proximity of. Uh, three of these teams between Morocco, Spain. Uh, I was just thinking of this in Portugal. They're all kind of like on in that <laughs> oh, Iberian yeah, Peninsula, yeah. like Rocket Gibraltar area. Uh, but they do have many Benatia going back to Morocco here. Uh, center back uh, for Juventus, uh, Nabil Darar, I believe, at right back. Hakimi, that uh, uh, Real Madrid prospect, uh, left back. A lot of pressure on these guys because. They are going to get absolutely pummeled by Spain and Portugal, uh, and the matter. The question is if they can absorb it. And well, look, I mean, uh, get res- get any result against either of those two teams. You say what you will about the African teams and their offenses and who they were playing against. They didn't allow a single goal in that last round of World Cup qualifying. They played six games, didn't give a single goal. It's a different monster when you're playing Spain and you're playing Portugal. When you guys got like that's Ronaldo, true. I mean, look, Diego the Ivory Coast is probably the best team that they were playing, and you know. For all the you know as, as good as, as good as we think about them, the fact is they're also not here. Yeah, uh, and they do have a strong attack. So, I mean, it's, it shows they can deal with that guys like you know Gervinho, who's probably now lounging on his private island. Man, but, Gervinho, FIFA legend, Gervinho, legend. But so there is some individual talent here in this Morocco team. I wouldn't under you know undercut their ability to to make stuff happen. They have Eunice Belanda at uh, attacking mid. If you remember, he was part of that. Uh, I think it was when Montpellier. One league un. Olivier Giroud was the forward before he went to Arsenal. Uh, throwback. But, yeah, way throwback. Uh, he, he, I forget where he went, but he he like left off and went to the Middle East. So he has some talent, but again, it's it's gonna be a matter of absorbing pressure for this team. Right, and then you know, for me, other than interesting note, Morocco are taking five players listed as defenders now. Again, I don't, I'm not familiar enough with any of these guys to know if that's a, a true statement or if they're just being grouped in. Sort of, they're group, they're making some midfielders or making some defenders into midfielders. They have five defenders listed, 
So that's one injury away from something perhaps uh, bad happening. Yeah, uh, Nabil Durar, I'm not sure if he had him listed as a defender. He He's played midfield in the past. Uh, he's at Fenerbahce now. So um, it's possible he's one of five. It looks like they even with him there, they have six. It's still not exactly great. Ideal. One yeah. injury, and you're in trouble. Yeah. So I mean, and, you know, obviously these teams happen. aren't as stacked as, you know, Spain, who somebody gets injured and you think, well, I mean, it's, it's a loss, but it's not the end of the world versus, you know, Morocco. They lose their best player, and suddenly everybody's thinking, these poor guys, what are they going to do? Yeah, it would be a problem for them. Yeah. One other one I wanted to highlight, Amin Harit, 19 years old. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some playing time in this World Cup because I think if Morocco need a goal and they're chasing a goal late, they're probably going to try to bring him on. He's a creative force in that midfield. He plays at Schalke currently. And, you know, they you know they produce quality players there at Schalke. So I, I would think that he, will, players, yeah. he could make an impact if they need him to. He's a 20-year-old, be a big weight on his shoulders to to step up. But I, I wouldn't be too surprised if he's a, a guy who comes off the bench to be uh, an impact. Yeah, I don't think, he'll, I don't think they let him start. And they're going to want to try to play defensively. And he's more of a creative player. Then we have Iran. Iran, relatively easy qualifying campaign. Iran qualified with two games to spare with two no win over Uzbekistan. Here's the call where they sort the game kind of ends and they give the explanation. Again, I believe it. Yeah, and one thing, if you have a chance, and you can actually find it, because it took me a while to find it, if you can find the video of the celebration, the immediate aftermath, the manager of the team is given like a, a like a replica cheap plastic World Cup trophy to carry around. I thought that was just rich. Uh, well, they haven't been here in a while, so this was big for Iran? them. Yeah. Iran was in the last tournament. This they were in the last one? Yeah, they were in the last one. If you remember, they nearly played Argentina. Oh, that's right. It was, that, la- it was that beautiful goal by and Messi. Messi just tore them apart at the end of the game to win it. But I can see why, because this is the first time they've ever made it to back-to-back tournaments. So, um, yeah, I'm looking back and, uh, you know, remembering their time. They, they were another team that just said, we're going to defend, we're going to defend, we're going to get yep. a draw, maybe hit on the counter and get one. Otherwise, we're, we're just not going to give up goals if we can. Uh, again, that's almost definitely going to be their strategy against the likes of Spain, uh, Portugal, I, I even against Morocco, who has some individual talents. They're going to have to be resigned to defend and counter. Yeah, and I mean, look, again, this is a team mostly made up of players from around that area of the world, so I'm not going to sit here and try to give some kind of in-depth tactical analysis. They're going to defend. They're probably going to suffer a lot during this tournament, but... You know, for all their talk, they do seem to think that they will have a better showing this time than last time. So we'll see. Uh, the only player I did want to highlight is Mehdi Taremi. He plays in Qatar, and it looks like he's among their best players, 11 goals and 26 caps. And then there's also Sardar Asmon, who has 23 goals and 33 caps, the most of anybody in the squad. So, you know, if you want an idea of where the goals might come from, if there are, you know, if they have any opportunities to score them, you know, it's kind of just one of those things that you have, you know, two pretty strong attacking teams in Portugal and Spain, at least in the sense of, you know, the kind of players that they have versus, you know, Morocco and Iran, who are not going to be known for anything other than probably sitting back and trying to just kill games off as best they can. Yeah, it's the, the game plan is going to be simple for them. It's going to be get it up to those guys. They're both pretty quick and try to counter immediately. What's going to be interesting, I think, is that Iran versus Morocco game. Yeah, I mean... That that could be a good one, at least, or it might be a total snooze fest. Who knows? I, I'm predicting that one, I think Morocco is going to be out of their shell. They're going to be attacking a bit more and trying to get the win. Uh, because I, for either of these game teams, they have to win that game. That game, yeah, that game for sure is the one that if you want any shot of getting out of here, getting out of this group, you're going to need it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if either team is kind of accepted their fate uh, moving forward. But, I mean, last time Portugal didn't make it out. You know, U.S. beat them, and look exactly. at look at them now. So the two wow. teams in the World Cup this year. Uh, yeah, hey, yeah. I mean, look, in the World Cup, you have a chance. You got to be in. You got to be in the tournament to get out of the group, right? Yeah. Finally, we have Portugal. Uh, this one was an interesting sort of affair for them. It looked like for a while they might end up in the playoff, but thankfully for them, Switzerland had 27 points and Portugal had 24. They got to play Switzerland in the last match day. Portugal was sitting 10 goals above them in goal difference so a win put them would put them through and it ended up being an own goal from Do- Johan J- 
Juru. 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 Former Arsenal legend, Johan Juru. There you go. And a clincher by Andre Silva that put the Portuguese into the World Cup. We have an English like call of the moment when the match ended and they were officially through. Yeah, so you know, like I said, it was it was difficult to find a Portuguese call of the game, so I, I do apologize for that. But uh, you know, it, it has the same it has it carries the same message. <laughs> it does uh, to a certain extent. Portugal started off kind of weak, but they did end up with a twenty eight goal difference in the group uh, before topping it. They can get after you. Look, you know, I thought that they were a pretty weak team at the European Championships. And I didn't think that they were, you know, the best team in the tournament. But they won it. And at some look, at some point, that's all that really matters, right? I mean, I, I do want to mention that in, in these tournaments, it's not always about the best team. I know that doesn't sound right because we, we saw Germany and Spain win and they were the best team. I think the best team probably does win it all. But in terms of winning games, I mean, listen, Portugal won Euros. And when it, I think they didn't score a single goal. Or something. They know the no. They scored goals. The thing is and that they wouldn't. They couldn't seem win. to beat anybody in like regular time yeah. until they beat Wales in the semifinal, I believe. That, so that there was like two, in the and this was in the knockout stage. They were like weren't winning any games. In well, regular I, I specific the, the one I remember most, I believe, is the one against Croatia. That that game was just brutal by Portugal, and yet Croatia couldn't put them away, and so it ended up getting to the point where. Uh, Ronaldo and company were able to steal it from them. And I mean, look, again, it's a tournament. So at some point, it may come down to just the fact of which team knows how to close it out. And I would favor Portugal against a lot of teams in that regard. And so anything can happen. It's it's really about, I think, defending first for so many teams. Unless you're dominant enough, like we're Spain, where you're going to pass the ball around. Uh, that Portugal team with Pepe, Cedric, and... Uh, not Paulo Guerrero, Rafael Guerrero at left back, <laughs> uh, the other Guerrero. Um, they have a strong defense. I think they're kind of individually strong against the bo- across the board. It's going to be a matter if they can kind of bring it together. Obviously, Ronaldo up top is the big selling point for them. Right. And you know, Ronaldo's, Ronaldo's amazing. If he can get, if he's close to 100%, I think they're in really good shape to get out of this group because he's just great. And you see what he can do when he's given the ball and time. You know, we, we're going to talk a lot about how Messi can do this and carry his team out of there. I think Ronaldo deserves that same kind of pedestal where Portugal have Ronaldo, so they should be, so they should be getting out of this group just based on having that. Just having him. Just having him. They have other players. You know, they have the other Joao Mourinho. The not, of course not our Joao Mourinho. Not not our favorite punching bag. Some weeks. Who did score a winner, though, this weekend? Well, more of that. 97th minute, more than that in our MLS recap podcast. So they do have some talent there. Um, I, again, though, in Euros, they weren't exactly convincing despite winning it, which was kind of amazing if you think about it. Yeah. But, uh, again, probably a team they can go through. Uh, we're hoping Ronaldo is going to be here for the whole tour. Remember last uh, World Cup, he wasn't exactly healthy. He still put one in. And got the equalizer against the U.S. Well, he put the cross in for the equalizer, yeah. Um, what was important for it either way? Um, I mean, they're they're unconvincing, you know. I, it is. It's hard. I guess they're I, a strong team, but we've even with winning Euros, it's hard to say that this team like deserves to be like a, unquestionably going through. I mean, I think it, they should. They should. Will they? I guess let's get to it, right? Yeah. Who you got winning the group? I, I I do think it's Spain and Portugal go through. Spain wins the group. Um, not exactly the other two teams aren't exactly the strongest. Um, this is more down the line, but I'm not exactly sure Portugal can put in much of a run once we get past the group stage. Spain, I think we can expect it. That's a strong team. But Portugal, you know, things happen with them. I know Ronaldo can make something out of nothing, but... Yeah, we've seen some meltdowns from that team in the past, but it is sort of a new generation of players... We saw a lot of youngsters having to kind of step up during the European Championships. I know we think a lot about, you know, Adair and Quaresma and obviously Ronaldo, but, you know, guys like Andre Silva haven't exactly been there a long time. Renato Sanchez? Yeah. Oh, man, how far, how the mighty have fallen. Well, he's still like 20 years old or something, right? He's still Yeah, but I think he, I don't know if that's ever going to work out for that poor guy. Who knows? Uh, João Mario, I mentioned Rafael Guerrero at left back, I think is a... Very underrated left back. So Pepe still around. Carvalho still a pretty good player. Yeah, uh, William Carvalho has been 
kind of uh, the, the ne- another one who's been like the next up and coming thing who hasn't really gotten there yet. Yeah. But uh, and that's the big problem with them that I'm trying to you know get to is that they have all these names that have kind of never really been as good as they should be. Uh, Zhao, Zhao Mario at Inter didn't pan out. Now he's at West Ham. You know, didn't make a huge splash there. Carvalho was supposed to go uh, from Sporting uh, in Portugal. Never really got out of there. So it is a question mark with some of those guys. Yeah. For my picks, I am also going to go Spain, Portugal 1 and 2. I I thought for a long time that I was going to take Morocco to get out of this group. I just thought that their defense was going to be so, like, heralded and they'd, like, hold Portugal to a nil-nil draw and beat Iran and then maybe even get another draw against Spain. But I just don't see it happening. I don't know how they're going to be able to do that. A team like, like that, they're just going to defend, defend, defend. I don't know if they have enough offensively. And they're going to struggle against Iran, too. I, you know, when you can't break down a team that's just like you. We see this happen to Atletico Madrid, as good as they are, especially earlier in the Simeone era. One of their biggest re- one of the biggest reasons why they're not competing for the league year in and year out is that against the lower teams, they're not able to put them away. And teams sit back and park the bus against them, and it's difficult for them to break down it actually used to be for me that there were the three inevitabilities in life death taxes and atletico madrid one nil that's kind of changed now because yeah. of the simeone has kind of changed the system to be able to accommodate more attacking minded players but still it's the same concept a team that is used to defending so much when given the ball oftentimes doesn't know how to break the defenses down in front of them so uh, yeah i'm with you on that 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 can be a problem uh, but I th- the big thing that for uh, Atletico, I think, was getting Griezmann, uh, a forward who was that kind of incredible talent who could do it on their own. We'll even. see if Griezmann decides to stick around. Still a yeah. big transfer. So he still says that he hopes to announce what he's going to do before the World Cup starts. Running out of time, buddy. Running out of time. So <laughs> we talked about how can Morocco do this. They beat Iran. You're right. And they draw Portugal. And Portugal gets tries too hard against Spain and gets housed. That's that's the scenario. They, they go against Spain. They lose one nothing or something. Morocco. They beat Iran. They tie Portugal, and Portugal just has a terrible showing against Spain, and only maybe puts in one against Iran. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think so. But either. that's their only chance. So there you go. That's what we have here. We'll have more coming up with Group C and D on the next one. We'll also have an MLS recap at some point this week as we head into the uh, World Cup break of sorts, and then that's about it. Just like. People are running out of time. This podcast is officially running out of time. Yeah, World Cup's fast approaching, so don't forget to listen to our other uh, group uh, podcast. This is A and B uh, from Los Angeles. I'm Emmett McConnell next to Eric Alcantor signing off.